In verse 12 of chapter 3, Colossians, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray as we dive into your word this evening, Lord, you would speak in a new way, a fresh way, as we've gone over this passage many times. Lord, we pray that you would connect these things in our everyday life to what it says in your word. Lord, we know that today really isn't the end of the world, but we pray that we'd be able to put an end to that sinful nature today. We could walk in newness of life because we know when we walk in newness of life, that's when we find all the things we were made for. Peace, joy, happiness, long-suffering, all of these qualities that we're reading about, Lord, we can only experience it if you give it to us. So help us to walk into these truths tonight, Lord. We know that you want to speak to us and we love you. So fill us tonight in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Ask yourself this question tonight. What do you allow to rule in your life? What do you allow to rule in your life? Jean-Paul Sartre said, man is the being whose project it is to be God. He says the end of every man, his objective in life is to become God. A more relevant example might be the actor Jim Carrey. You know, Jim Carrey started off with nothing. And once upon a time, he had nothing and his family was broke, he was living in a van. He attained fame, became a great actor, one of the greatest in uh, comedy, right? And, and so he grew in, in wealth and all these things. And what he said is, I really believe in the philosophy that you create your own universe. I'm just trying to create a good one for myself. So he attributes all the good things that happened in his life to himself. And so we see these people that have that start off with nothing and have risen to everything. And we question, how is it that they are able to obtain success? How is it that they're able to do these things? These people look really happy. They look like they have it all together. And so we buy into the mentality where people say, let pleasure be the thing that rules you. Seek joy, seek all those things as the primary objective of your life. Is to seek that happiness and, and fulfillment for you, not for anyone else. If you have to hurt some people along the way, that's fine. As long as you are happy, do whatever feels good. Drink, party, do drugs, all those things which make you feel good in the moment, you should do those things. That's what the world tells you. You hear it in our music. You know, the, one of the, the top songs in pop right now is a song that talks about how sex is likened to heaven. I don't really know about religion, but I do know about sex. And that's the basis of the song. And I'm sure that many of you know that song. These are the things that the world is feeding to us. There is no utmost besides what you create, what you make for yourself to be. 
And these things sound good until tragedy strikes. These things sound great until we're left with uh, the circumstances that happen, the storms, trials. And it's those storms and those trials that reveal who you really are, what you're really made of. Anyone can say that you should do this or do that, but it's when they're tested by storms. It's when they're under the test that we really see, is this worth something? Will this really give me joy? Is Jim Carrey right? Was Jean Paul Sartre right? I think there's something to be said about how the number one song in America right now, in, in the genre of pop, the number one song was just recently pulled from the radio. Did you know that? And guess why? Does anyone know the song? Can you guess? Raise your hand. What's that? That is number one now, but it wasn't until it was pulled off. No. <laughs> he said Gannam style. Yes, the Kesha song. Who knows the name? Die Young. The number one pop song in all of America just got pulled from the radio. A song by Kesha called Die Young. The chorus says, let's make the most of this night like we're going to die young. And recently, the tragedy that happened in Connecticut caused them to reassess their lyrics. And you know what she said in defense? I did not want to sing those lyrics and I was forced to. I'm so, so sorry for anyone who has been affected by this tragedy. And I understand why my song is now inappropriate. Words cannot express. That's a direct quote from Kesha. These things sound great up until tragedy strikes. These things sound wise. They sound prudent. You should follow after these things. You should seek pleasure. All these things are for you so that you can really be happy. But once tragedy strikes, what do you do with those things? Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 10 through 11 says, evil prophets deceive my people by saying, all is peaceful when there is no peace at all. It's as if these people have built a flimsy wall and these prophets are trying to reinforce it by covering it with whitewash, with paint. Tell these whitewashers that their wall will soon fall down. A heavy rainstorm will undermine it. Great hailstones and mighty winds will knock it down. You see, everything is not okay. And sometimes it takes tragedy to bring us into that right set of mind where you're like, okay, everything isn't the way that we thought it was. Everything isn't necessarily, like you, you walk in your everyday life, we live in America and we live the American dream. We're told to do these things and go to college and go to school and, and get a job and build a family and all these things. But once tragedy strikes, it brings you down a level to where the rest of the world is, where poverty is, how the rest of the world, people are dying every single day. These philosophies of the world do not hold when confronted with the storms of life. I think of Richard Dawkins. He said, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. The biochemist or biologist at Oxford University, Richard Dawkins, atheist, says there's no evil, no good. He prides himself in that. 
But why doesn't Richard Dawkins try telling that to one of the families in Connecticut that lost their children? There is no evil. There is no good. There is no justice. I think a lot of times people, when they're committed to atheism, it's forced, it forces them to, to be in an awkward position where they have to stay consistent with this. You know, when you, when you look at the funerals of these children, all of them have these hopes like, oh, you know, they're in a better place now, they're in heaven. But your atheism commits you to an awkward position. There is no hope. You'll see people analyzing the, sh the shooter, right? They're not saying that he was evil. Well, he must have had a, an awkward upbringing. He must have had a family that didn't really love him or abused him when he was little. You're forced to all these positions that don't ring true. There's something inside of us that says this isn't right. There's something that's gone wrong with the world. Jeffrey Dahmer was a, a cannibalist and, and murderer. And he was interviewed by a news reporter. And in that interview, the news reporter said to him, well, don't you ever question, you know, your family or whatever happened, went, what went wrong? And he said, I don't blame my parents. I think it's just an excuse. I assume all responsibility for what I've done. He says a lot of people, it makes me angry when they say your parents weren't good parents or whatever because my parents are great parents. But I made this decision all on my own. And he said, really what drove me to these things is the belief in evolution. The belief that there is no God. There is no one holding me accountable. So I, why should I bring myself to do what's acceptable by society if I can just overrule it and become God? That was his objective. So one of the most devastating effects of tragedy is that it creates this feeling of helplessness. When tragedy strikes, what do you do? How can we comfort these people that have lost? The situation is, in other words, beyond our control. But what I want to point out to you tonight is feelings of helplessness can be good. In that, it shows you that there's a problem that needs a solution. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, when I was... Back when I was skateboarding a lot more, I was longboarding one day, and I fell off my longboard, and I broke my collarbone. I didn't know I broke it. It just made this loud crack because I've never, you know, i never broken a bone before. So I thought it was fine. Everything was fine. I just, you know, went back. I was like, wow, my shoulder feels weird. And then my friends asked me, like, well, maybe you should try, you know, taking your shirt off so we could look at it. So I was like, okay. I went to take off my shirt, and this huge crack was like... They're like, oh! It's like one of those meaty cracks where it's like, yeah. It was bad. At that moment, I was just like, this is not good. I became a little bit afraid. And you know what? That's a good thing. It tells you there's a problem. I have a bone broken. I need to go to the doctor. The last thing you want is to be indifferent. Like, oh, well, that's weird. I'm just like, you need to go to the doctor. I had this one friend when we were skateboarding, and he's, you know, a bigger guy, and he's never, he never successfully balanced on a skateboard, let alone ride one, okay? So he's on the skateboard. We're at a skate park, and he's practicing in the parking lot just standing on the skateboard. Then he does, and he works up the courage to say, now I have to go down the half pipe. We're like, this is a bad idea. You should not do this. He says, no, I, I have to do it. I made a vow to myself. I'm a man. I'm like, okay, well, at least wear a helmet. Puts on a helmet. You know, he sets himself up. He's on the ramp. 
We're like, Bobby, you sure you want to do this? Yes. He goes down and doesn't even go an inch before he just slides back. <laughs> to this day, I still remember the whole thing in slow motion. He's kind of just like knocked back. He's like. <laughs> and then as he's falling, his arm hits the ground and it bends in an awkward position. So it breaks and he goes. <laughs> and so slow motion stops. He's on the ground. He's like. And he starts panicking like crazy. And at that moment, there was no question in my mind that he needed help. I knew something was wrong. Your arm isn't supposed to go that way. He actually broke this bone over here. I don't even know what it's called. But he broke this right here. So helplessness, bring it back now. Helplessness in the face of life storms shows us that we need a savior. When we find ourselves helpless in life, that shows us we need someone that's better than us, that can save us from our situations. When we cannot conjure up an adequate, sustaining peace on our own, it shows us that we need the prince of peace. There has to be someone out there that can give me what I'm really looking for. So we're supposed to, as Christians, as it says in verse 15, allow the peace of God to rule your heart. In other words, to direct it, to command your life. But how? How can we let the peace of God rule in our hearts in the midst of pain? It's really easy to read the verse, right? And be like, okay, and now just, you know, you have a tough time, but uh, we'll just have peace. Let the peace of God rule your heart. When you're in the middle of a tragedy, the first thing you don't think about is, oh, well, I just have to let the peace happen. So how do we as Christians allow that? Especially in the context of this passage where it's talking about getting together with one another. Your friends are hurting you, right? People are saying Bad things about you are hurting you in, in a way that you can't reconcile in your heart. You cry. You have this pain and you don't know what to do with it. How do you have that peace? Well, I'm going to give you three ways tonight. Not going to be long, but just three ways so that you can allow the peace of God to reign in your heart. The first one is surrender. The second one is trust. And the third one is to pray. So first one is surrender, second one is trust, and third one is pray. First one, surrender. Surrender is a term used when a person yields control to another person. So we think of like an army. An army surrenders itself to the enemy when it realizes that the damages are beyond their control. There's nothing we can do about it. All we can do is surrender and salvage what's left. A burglar will surrender himself when he realizes he can't escape. I give myself over to this person. I, I give control over to this person because I know there's no way out. So many people will try to seek fulfillment apart from God. Right? A lot of people will try to do these things, joy, happiness, peace, apart from God. But when those things fail to complete us, we see how shallow those idols really are. It's easy to listen to the song. It's easy to listen to the song that tells you to party and have a good time. And tonight's going to be a good night. <laughs> but what do you do when tragedy strikes? All of a sudden, that song doesn't make you feel the way it did before. I find that most songs, they only hype up the feeling that you have in your heart. That's why if you're feeling emo, you listen to an emo song. You don't, you're not like feeling emo. You're like, I got to listen to Michael Jackson. <laughs> you don't do that. And we think of people... In the news, we think of people that are famous, 
when your parents were still kids your age. You don't listen to your parents' music. Fame doesn't even last 50 years. So why do we try to obtain things that are worthless in the end? You know, with all the advances in science, it can't keep, can't keep people from dying. All the advances, all the things in genetics that we can learn about ourselves, we still die. Many of us are so, always so busy. You know, in Europe, people live for a six-week vacation. I don't know if any of you guys work yet, but in America, you don't get six weeks off. Six weeks of vacation, and that's what they live for. They work hard throughout the entire year so they can have those six weeks off. Some of us, in the midst of a trial or tribulation or difficulty or stress, you'll say, if only I could get away, then I could have peace. Have you ever said that before? There's a situation that's just too overbearing. Maybe it's schoolwork. Maybe it's trying to be accepted in college or maybe accepted with a group of friends. And you said, if only I could get away from this situation, then I could have peace. But do you realize what you're saying? You're saying you need control. And this is why. You're saying, I need control of the situation. I don't have control of the situation. Therefore, I need to be in control of nothing. I need the situation to go away for a little bit. So I am in control of nothing in vacation mode, and then I will have peace. But you're still looking for control. It's because you're realizing there's, the situation is beyond your ability. So there's a supernatural peace and fulfillment that only God can give. And it only comes by man surrendering to God. In other words, it only comes when you say, God, this is beyond my control. I can't obtain peace in the midst of this situation apart from you. But that leads to the next question, which is, do you have a personal relationship with God? Or do you just know a bunch of facts about him? Now, first of all, if you're not a Christian today, then you obviously do not have a relationship with God, in which you should so that you can obtain this peace. But let's say you are a Christian today. You identify yourself as Catholic, Christian, whatever, and you don't have that peace. Well, maybe instead of actually having a relationship with God, you just know a bunch of facts about God. And this is what I mean by that. Tim Tebow, a lot of people can name a lot of facts about Tim Tebow or your favorite sports player, fill in the blank. You know every touchdown he scored or you know every basket he shot. You know everything about his RBIs or whatever, championship rings. But if you went up to that pro and asked him, hey, do you know uh, so-and-so? Do you know Andy Dean, Kevin Chapel Holbridge? He's like, I have no idea who that is. But you might know everything about his life. You might even know where he sleeps at night. You might know where he lives. You might know who he's married to and his kids' names. That's awkward. But he has no idea who you are. Is that your relationship with God? Do you just know a bunch of Bible facts? You know, yeah, there's God, the Trinity, and there's something about heaven and hell. I know that stuff. But you don't have a personal relationship with God. A.W. Tozer said, To most people, God is an inference, not a reality. He is a deduction from evidence which they consider adequate, but he remains personally unknown to the individual. So what do you got to do? If you're not a Christian today, Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's all you got to do. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. And from there, you form a relationship with him just like anyone else. You talk to him. You pray to him, and then reading the Bible is him speaking back to you. Coming to youth group, you hear from the word of God. So once you surrender, that leads us to our second point, which is trusting him. Once you've surrendered, you've given up, you said, okay, Lord, I'm really going to trust you this time. 
I'm going to give you everything that I have. Then you got to take the next step, which is trusting him. So surrendering means giving up control. It means trusting someone else with your life or your possessions. And I think we're control freaks over everything, aren't we? Always got to decide where we're going to eat, what are we going to do. You're really picky about food. Mike Krauser, does anyone know Mike Krauser? Always be like, we're always going out to eat together, but he'll never go to anywhere ethnic. He'll never eat Asian food ever. He's like, Thai food, ugh. Chinese food, ugh. I don't eat sushi. Like, it's Japanese food that's sushi. Krauser. But he's really picky. And a lot of us, you know, I usually wind up being the person that decides where we go when my friends hang out. And it's not even because I want to. I just want to go somewhere. Like, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? And then I'm like, why don't we go to IHOP? And they're like mad at me like, you always choose where we're going. You just want to be in control. Like, no, I just want to go somewhere. And then it's like two hours later. And I'm like, all right, I'm going home. That's how it is with me. And it'll happen to you someday. So beware. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, maybe some of you that are driving have a friend in the car critiquing everything that you do. The backseat driver, right? They want control over the wheel. Why do you do that? Or I do that too sometimes. Like what, it really bothers me when people don't use their blinkers. It's just really annoying. I always ask them, did you run out of blinker fluid? <laughs> Try that next time. I had a friend who I was driving with him. And he was so like, okay, there's backseat drivers, but he was crazy. Everything I did, he's like, watch out. I was like, dude, I saw that. I'm like getting self-conscious, like, what's wrong? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I'm so used to driving with my friend and he's blind in one eye. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's like, he's blind out of his left eye, so he couldn't see. And I had to always like look over. I'm like, geez. Anyway, so what does trust look like? What does trust look like? It looks like when you're a child, right? And you're sleeping in the car while your dad's driving. You're not worried about what's going to happen. You can sleep. You can rest there because you know someone who has the adequate control and ability is driving the car. Psalm 4 verse 8 says, In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. That's what true peace is. It's trusting in God. Trusting him, saying, Lord, I give you all the control, and therefore I can let go of it completely. And when David wrote that, he was in the middle of a battle. He said, I can lie down and sleep even when people are fighting all around me. So in other words, David entrusted the fight to God. He said, God, I'm not going to worry about it. It's all in your hands. I'm going to go to bed. So in the same way, we can entrust the fight to God because he is the only one sufficient to fight the battle. God is the only one who's able to take that difficulty that you have. Take that trial or tribulation. He's the only one that can solve your problems. And not only is he sufficient, he has overcome. He has already defeated those problems. John 16, says, These things, Jesus said, I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. I wrote the Bible. These things I'm saying to you is so that you can have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Not saying you're not. Not saying life's going to be easy. But be of good cheer I have overcome the world. So what have we to worry about? We as Christians, we don't have to worry about anything, do we? When he has adopted us as sons and daughters of God, it's like really trippy to think about, but God calls us his friends, his children. He has a relationship with us. That's weird. 
Like, I, I was tripping out over yesterday. I was reading that passage where Jesus is, like, talking to his disciples, and he's like, no longer do I call you servants. I call you my friends. Yeah, that must have been really weird. Like, the God of the universe calls you his friend. Romans 5, verse 1 through 8 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through faith. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also, pay attention now, glory in tribulations. When's the last time you had a tribulation? You had a trial and you're like, yeah, it's awesome. It's great. Like you get in a car accident. It's like, yes, it's great. You have a party. Now are you usually complain, you know, if it's not a bad one, you complain, you worry about the expense of the car, you go home, you, maybe you're injured, you're worried about how you're going to pay off the cost, or maybe you're not because your parents take care of it. I don't know. You don't glory in tribulations. But he says, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, the Holy Spirit is our down payment, our guarantee that everything's going to be okay. The people in the world, people that don't believe in God, they don't have a guarantee that everything's going to be okay. You know what bothers me the most? When people say, you're in my thoughts. What does that mean? That's creepy. Stop thinking about me. <laughs> when you pray for something, something happens. You pray for someone else, their lives are changed. We have that hope. And if you ever question it, you just check inside. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Yes, I do. Okay, that worked. My prayer is going to do something. God's going to hear me. For while we are still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So trust does not mean that you're never going to be scared. It does not mean that you're never going to be sorrowful. Doesn't mean that when you're going through a trial, you're gonna be like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Just gonna pretend like everything's okay. Not saying that. It means despite your feelings, you're committing yourself to the only one who can handle your situation. It means when you are going through that tribulation, you're saying, yes, this is terrible, but I'm giving it to God because I know He can deal with it. He has sufficient reasons and works this out together for good. I don't know how, it might not make sense, but I know he's a good God and he's going to work it together. So you don't have to get rid of your fears. You don't have to pretend that they're not really there. In fact, C.S. Lewis said on this, what do people mean when they say, I'm not afraid of God because I know that he is good? Have they never even been to a dentist? Dentists are scary. You know, a dentist is good, but it doesn't keep you from going to dentist and be like, all right, this guy has really pointy objects and he's going to hurt me. He's going to take out some teeth. It's not going to be good. You know, especially for those of you getting wisdom teeth out, you always hear the horror stories. I have a really good story that I'm not sharing now, but I will in the future. So you should come back one day. There's a band that I love called Sleeping At Last. They're a Christian band. You should check them out if you don't know them or if you watch the Twilight movies. He actually wrote the score for that and. That's not why you should, because I don't like Twilight. But anyway, some of the best lyrics written by this man, and he says, There's a voice inside your soul that resonates through your skin and bone, up through the blades of grass, underneath the feet of God's only son. The war that you've been fighting has already been won. 
lot of us are struggling as Christians. We're trying so hard to overcome, trying to obtain this peace, work it out in ourselves. But you're forgetting something very important, that Jesus has already fought your battle. He has already overcome. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Are you thinking about God? Are you trusting in him? Are you meditating on his word? If you're not, the lack of peace might show a lack of reliance on him. The fact that you are in this this struggle, the fact that you don't have this peace might show that you're not relying on him. The fact that we're stressed out over everything, that we're anxious, that we don't even know where we're going to school, we're not sure, and all this pressure's on us, we don't have a job, or these friends aren't liking us, or that person hates us, and all these things stress us out. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, Philippians 4, 6-7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is the verse of my life. That's our third and final way to allow the peace of God rule in your heart. It's to pray. If you don't know anything else, you pray. You can't trust, you pray. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Instead, how about you pray about it? How about you give it to me? You cast your burdens upon me for I care about you. You know, there's been a lot of times in my life that I've had, believe it or not, I've had a lot of stress, a lot of things that I felt I would never overcome medically, a lot of things psychologically that I thought I would never defeat. But that verse always stayed inside of my heart, not even because I sat down and tried to memorize it, just because I read it so many times that it became a part of me. And whenever I did feel anxious, I just remembered that verse, the peace of God, which surpasses all that you can understand, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if God is for us and he's in control, how can we worry about anything? What could possibly be big enough that we can be anxious about that thing? When I was little, I thought everyone saw this, but I used to see demons when I was little. I don't know if they're real demons. They probably weren't, but I was, I was like three. And I closed my eyes and I see these like terrible, I don't know what they were, but they looked terrible and they're so scary to the point that I would always run to my parents' room and, and cry. And they told me that verse, the peace of God which surpasses all you can understand will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. All you have to do is pray. So I made it a part of my everyday prayer. Lord, take away the pictures that really aren't there. I still remember that prayer to this day. It became a part of me. And when I did pray, it went away. I stopped worrying about it. When you pray, you can stop worrying about it because you're entrusting it to someone who's sufficient to deal with your circumstances. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what trials or tribulations you you have. Maybe you don't even want to tell anybody. But you can tell God. He's not going to be the one that gossips behind your back. He won't come and tell me while I'm reading my Bible. He's like, oh, by the way, you'll never believe what Kelly did the other day. He won't do that. You can trust him. You can give your circumstance to God for he cares for you. So in conclusion, in the midst of this Christmas season, let's remember that Jesus did not come into a happy world, but a hurting world looking for the Messiah. 
You know, you see those Christmas stories and those pictures and the nativity scene. Everything's happy. Jesus comes into this peaceful world. Everything's great. That wasn't the truth of the matter. When Jesus came into the world, people were looking for a Messiah. They were waiting. Jesus, when are you coming back? It's kind of like today, you know, everyone's freaked out about the end of the world. Today was supposed to be the end. Everyone, everyone sees these tribulations, sees the Hurricane Sandy, sees what happens in Connecticut, sees all these difficulties and are, are waiting for the Savior to come, waiting for Jesus to come back. It was the same way 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to this earth. The Jews were persecuted under Roman government. There's 400 years, 400 whole years where God did not say anything. There is no revelation. There is no prophets. There is no word of God to the people. They're like, all right, what's up with this? We know Jesus is supposed to come. There's supposed to be a savior, but nothing's happening. And in fact, they were persecuted under a government that was not godly. A lot of people complain because we're living in a nation that is suppressing Christians and an ungodly nation. It was the exact same way when Jesus came down at the right time. So we too might ask the question during a tragedy, where is God? But what I'm about to tell you might shock you, but God is not here to stop every single tragedy. Because he works out those tragedies for a greater purpose. He is so awesome that he can take evil and turn it for good. So he actually uses these terrible circumstances. It may not seem possible. It might not even seem logical. But he'll take the worst of situations and turn them for good. Matthew 10, verse 34 through 37. Jesus said, Do not think I have come to bring peace on earth. He said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What in the world does that mean? Isn't that weird? Wouldn't you just trip out if Jesus said that to you? Like, Jesus, you came to bring peace. No, I did not come to bring peace. I came to chop people up. What does that mean? It means Jesus did not come to tell people we're okay. He's not another Kesha. He's not another musician that's just about to tell you that you should live your life. Keep doing what you're doing. It's going to be fine. He says, you're not going to find peace apart from me. Good luck. Become your own God. Whatever you want to do, it's not going to work. He's going to lift up those that are meek, those that are weak. He's going to bring down the strong, those that are proud. He's going to humble them. Because it's only God, the one who made us, that truly knows us well enough to tell us that we're not okay. We need him. We need something that's beyond us. So I ask you, what is keeping you from surrendering to Jesus? What is it? What's keeping you back? Is it the things that you want to do? You have aspirations. You're like, oh, but I really want to do this before I surrender to Jesus. He says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What is it that you have to give up? Why do you hold on to these things, thinking you can solve your problems when you can't? You even know it. There's something that is beyond our control and it takes tragedy to do it sometimes to show us that we have no control over these situations. 
But isn't the one who is most qualified to rule our hearts the one who is called the Prince of Peace? Isn't the one who is most able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask or think, the one who has provided for us, who has created us? Can we doubt the one who said to the storm, peace be still? Can we doubt that that same person cannot also cause our hearts to be still in the times of tribulation? So what situations are you going through? Is it a family situation, a friend situation? I don't know. Maybe it's a medical, medical situation. But I do know that God is sufficient for all circumstances. And he took that circumstance, he took the punishment and pain upon himself to prove that he was worthy to take whatever it is that you're going through. And I'll close with this, but back in the day, in Jewish times, they had this greeting. They said, Shalom. Shalom means peace. When you came to a house, they would say, Shalom, peace be upon this house. When they would leave, the person who was the host would tell the person leaving, go in peace. So Shalom when you come and when I'm leaving, go in peace. That was the thing. Jesus, in John 14, 27, when he was ascending into heaven, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The reason he said that is because he gave something special to us. The Holy Spirit that could live inside of us. God could be with us at all times. That when you're in those circumstances, you don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. You might be. You might not understand it. But God says you don't have to be that way. So why are you making it hard on yourself? He says, my peace I give to you. Not like you've heard it before when everyone's like, shalom and shalom. And it's just a, a way of saying things. Like when we say, what's up? And some, some of us deep down inside are like, yeah, he doesn't really care how I'm doing. He doesn't really care what's up. So we just have these greetings that we're used to saying. Jesus is saying, I'm not that way. I care about you. I want to know about you. D.L. Moody had this to say on this passage. He is the author of peace, and no power can break that will. Yea, unbelief may question it, but Jesus Christ rose to execute his own will, and it is vain for man to contest it. Infidels and skeptics may tell us that it is all a myth, and that there isn't anything in it. And yet, the glorious tidings are ever repeated. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the poor and needy, the sad and sorrowful, are made partakers of it. So you need not wait for peace any longer. All you have to do is enter into it today. You need not try to make peace. It is a false idea. You cannot make it. Peace is already made by Jesus Christ and now declared unto you.